Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. With it, the annual deluge of cringe Christmas TV commercials eager to once again push the message. But not content with just removing all traces of Christianity from Christmas, retailer Marks and Spencer this year decided to metaphorically burn the whole thing down. Yes, that's literally the cosy, heartwarming theme they chose for their new Christmas ad. But I won't do Talk about a right set of joyless twats. Drunken wine ants are heavily featured. While white heterosexual men are once again notable by their absence. Up, 100% diversity. 0% fun. Children have also been all but completely expunged. But in a display of sumptuous cowardice, M&S faced an immediate backlash, which wasn't centred around their erasure of all things that make Christmas Christmas, but because of one scene, now hastily deleted, where they burned red, green and silver Christmas cracker hats in the fire. And that's not allowed because it might hurt the precious feelings of pro-Palestinians. The pathetic manner in which they rapidly scrubbed the clip was only beaten in terms of weaponized cringe by their groveling apology. We apologize for any unintentional hurt cause. Apologizing and removing an advert that used traditional Christmas colors and would have been produced and filmed months ago, we really are effed. No old people, virtually no kids, none of those silly traditions such as Christmas cards or games or giving pleasure to others. This Christmas, do anything you want. Dismal, dismal message. All in all then, for M&S, a complete failure from start to finish. I've also seen other ads that just came out this morning, like this one from Waitrose, which completely airbrush kids and family from Christmas again and make it solely about diverse metropolitans stuffing their faces. But in a shocking act of bigotry that will likely lead to Ofcom complaints and mass public boycott campaigns, Lidl, the German supermarket with branches all over Europe, had the temerity to not only feature a family with children, but a white family with white children in their Christmas ad. There's a light shining bright knowing that somebody's close. Wonders never cease. Maybe they've been taking inspiration from Japan. One more if only we could all be more like Japan. When I'm far from Well, it could be all set to kick off big time in London next weekend. You think it's been near Bedlam already? Well, just wait for this. Pro-Palestinian protesters are planning a million-strong day of disruption on November 11th, which, of course, coincides with Remembrance Day, when up and down the UK, but particularly in London, those who lost their lives in armed conflict and particularly the two world wars will be honoured. Some pro-Palestine groups are demanding it be turned into the biggest march in history. But given that scenes like this have become commonplace, around the cenotaph in recent weeks. What do you think's likely to happen? It's going to be absolute mayhem. Prominent pro-Palestinians like this utter moron are directly calling for the demonstrators to interrupt the two-minute silence to ruin the event. Ooh, I really wouldn't advise that. The consequences of F around and find out are going to be really fascinating to watch if they try it. Former top British Army commanding officer Colonel Richard Kemp has warned the mob to stay away. Some are calling for protesters to be kept well away from Remembrance Day events or for the marchers to be banned 
banned altogether. The Mayor of London should not allow them to go down Whitehall. They can protest somewhere else um, in, in the capital. You know, I and my veteran colleagues have put our lives on the line so that people have got the right to protest in this country. Um, but uh, this is one weekend where they should be banned from going down Whitehall. Will the police, who have constantly pandered to pro-Palestinians in order to reduce community tensions by threatening people with arrest for carrying England flags and by literally arresting a man at night in his own home for complaining about Palestinian flags do anything to stop the cenotaph being desecrated. They've said they'll keep protesters away from sensitive sites but some are asking army veterans to do the job the police seemingly can't by travelling to London to protect the cenotaph. Others are calling directly for the army to be used on the streets to maintain security. Meanwhile Labour leader Keir Starmer will attend the Royal British Legion Service of Remembrance on Sunday the 12th, leading some to ask whether he'll be wearing a poppy. Something that was noticeable by its absence during his inane rant about Islamophobia. You're watching The American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch live right now at band.video. Welcome to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host today. So much news to cover as the world falls apart before our very eyes. But I've got a feeling everything's going to be all right. I'm feeling optimistic. By the way, it is payday after all. So if you do have a little bit of extra cash in your account, get something good for yourself on InfoWarsStore.com and be the reason that we're still on the air. We need you now more than ever. I know it sounds hyperbolic at this point, but it has been true several times in the past, and it is true once again. So any support you can give is always appreciated. In breaking news, Sam Bankman-Fried was found guilty on all counts and faces over 100 years in prison. I would be surprised to see him go away for more than some of the J6ers, though, since he is so entrenched in the Democratic machine. But we'll see what the minimum sentence requirements are for his guilty charges, for his convictions. After 15 days of testimony and about four and a half hours of deliberations, jurors found FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried has been found guilty on all seven counts related to fraud and money laundering in a lower Manhattan courtroom. He's scheduled to be sentenced March 28th when he faces more than 100 years in prison if he receives the maximum on all counts. Zero Edge Post has a reminder, now convicted criminal Sam Bankman-Fried is one of the people most responsible for Biden being in office and... One of his biggest donors. So this broccoli-looking investor is going to go to the big-time prison. Oh, man, just looking at this guy, you can just tell that he's a snot. Bankman Fried has indicated that he will appeal the verdict. I would be surprised, frankly, since his sentencing isn't until March 28th. I would be surprised to see him not make an attempt to flee we know that when he was operating the business, he was spending most of his time primarily offshore. So what's to say he wouldn't go seek asylum somewhere else now? The case was handed to the jury at approximately 3.15 p.m. on Thursday after U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan read the jury roughly 60 pages of instructions. Bankman Fried, also known as SBF, founded FTX in 2019, two years after former sister hedge fund Alameda Research. He was charged with seven counts, including wire fraud, money laundering, and securities fraud in connection with FTX's spectacular implosion last year. 
The trial, which progressed far more quickly than the anticipated run-through Thanksgiving, has presented a stark transformation of the FTX founder from a crypto genius to an alleged criminal mastermind. Of course, if he was really a mastermind, he never would have been caught. As prosecutors and defense attorneys spar over the truth behind FTX's collapse. Can you guys find the audio clip of Sam Bankman-Fried snapping on the janitor at the SBS, at the uh, offices? I think that, that exists somewhere. If you can't find it, it's no big deal. But it would be very interesting to play that because it will give you a sense of just the kind of man that he is. The trial, which progressed far more quickly than the anticipated run-through Thanksgiving, is now over. Of course, the 31-year-old MIT graduate and son of two Stanford legal scholars has pleaded not guilty to all charges. Every movie needs a villain, proclaimed Mark Cohen, Bankman Fried's defense attorney, in a narrative bending final plea that painted the prosecution's portrayal of his client as grossly mischaracterized. Cohen argued fervently against the government's claims, insisting that the FTX saga, while marred by a lack of risk management, does not equate to criminal conduct. The courtroom, under the guidance of Judge Kaplan, saw a relentless pace with days stretching past the usual hours in a concerted effort to wrap up proceedings. Jurors now faced with the weighty task of determining Bankman-Fried's fate were reminded that the urgency from the bench wasn't an attempt to rush judgment, but rather an efficient approach to justice. While we do have a right to a fair and speedy trial here in the United States, and frankly, I am much more pleased to see litigation move quickly, judgment move quickly, than I am to see it take years and years and years. Because after all, the more inefficient the justice system is, the more painful lawfare becomes. The more painful the harassment from the justice system becomes when you're falsely charged with the crime. That's why we have a right to a fair and speedy trial, because our founders knew that you can be harassed with lawsuits when you're innocent, especially if the lawsuits are abundantly expensive and time-consuming. The crux of the trial hinged on intent. Did Bankman-Fried knowingly orchestrate a grand scheme to defraud? According, according to Assistant U.S. Attorney Nicholas Roos, the answer lies in a pyramid of deceit with $10 billion in customer funds vanishing into a black hole of personal indulgence and opaque financial maneuvers. Let's go ahead and run that clip I was talking about. I think that people are, are overreacting, and I really hope that once, you know, maybe we can, uh, you know, I, I just, people don't get it. Like, most people are stupid, and they're really stupid, okay? I mean, just being honest, right? So, the other day, I'm, I'm sleeping on my beanbag in my office, and, like, one of the cleaning people comes by, and she's like, hey, you know, I hear you, is what I told her. Because I'm like, who are you? I don't, I don't need, you know, like, I'm not looking for the help. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll donate money to you, you know, you And, you know, she kind of, like, took that weird, and she told me, like, you know, I'm a guest here. And I said, you know, I, I was like, I could buy your family, like, 300 million times over, okay? And I'd still be a billionaire. Um, now, this was before everything imploded, but the point is, is, it's just people are really just, they don't, they're just not letting me uh, do what I want to do. The following so is that a- gives you a sense of the type of guy he is. He's sleeping on the beanbag at the office. The cleaning lady comes in and says, hey, Mr. Big CEO. And he says, I can buy your family 300 times over, 300 million times over. He's just a dirtbag. He sounds like evil Ben Shapiro, too. That was one of the things that was so funny about that. <laughs> we got to do a deep fake of Ben Shapiro just saying the same thing with his face. Evil or yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I disagree with Ben Shapiro on the Israel thing, but I, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's an evil guy. But hey, what do I know? I'm just I'm just a guy who pays attention to the news. 
So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Sam Bankman-Fried issue. New updates here in this funny story that Mr. Producer put on my desk this morning. Springfield mayoral candidate Justin Hurst calls allegations he paid for votes a smear campaign. Holding a press conference at his 16 acres home Thursday, city councilor Justin J. Hurst vehemently denied allegations that his campaign paid people $10 to vote for him for mayor. (laughs) He called it a last-minute smear campaign by his opponent, Mayor Dominic J. Sarno, and accused him of using city hall employees who work for him to make a last-minute effort to win the election. Quote, the use of municipal resources and employees, all of whom are hired and paid by the mayor, to investigate voter fraud in a hotly contested race that he is running is flat-out wrong, Hurst said. But officials said they have video footage showing voters being handed $10 bills outside City Hall Saturday during the early voting period and sworn affidavits from poll workers that say multiple people casting ballots that day had asked for payment. Just unbelievable. They're getting to the point where that's how much you're worth to them. That's how much your your vote is worth to them. It's 10 bucks. Every single plebe, every single person is is worth a $10 bill. To these 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 people, city solicitor John Payne has called for the Hamden District Attorney's Office to launch a criminal investigation. Payne said he was made aware of the Saturday incident when staff from the city elections office were asked for payments by a series of previously unregistered voters. These allegations are very serious and upsetting to me, said Sarno, who added election commissioner Gladys Oyola Lopez reported what she felt was suspicious activity during early voting to the mayor's office and then was referred to Payne. Voting is a sacred trust and should be treated as such. The integrity of our elections must be protected, Sarno said in a statement. Sarno, of course, declined to talk more about the allegations when he was asked about them after a grant announcement on Thursday. Hurst, who has been a city councilor for 10 years, is trying to unseat Sarno, who has served as mayor for 16 years. The two were the top vote-getters following a five-way preliminary election in September. So there you have it, folks. And I've seen stuff like that in campaigns. I ran a campaign uh, as a digital marketing expert for a guy named Nathan Massey, he was a great guy. And he was ro- he was running against this guy in, in Tennessee named Bo Mitchell. I think Bo Mitchell is still a state representative in Tennessee at the state level. Just kind of an awful guy in terms of an awful politician. I don't want to smear his personal name here. But he was handing out free pizza to people that were voting. And that was technically against the rules. And we tried to raise the issue and nothing happened there. That was a tough campaign, tough time. So anyway, we're going to cover more of the news in the next segment. In the meantime, make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com and check out BrainForce Ultra, which is now selling at 60% off. We do have more deals coming up in the pipeline, but today is payday. These deals aren't going to last much longer. So now may be the best time, maybe a better time than ever. Take advantage of these awesome deals on InfoWarsStore.com. Check it out today and be the reason we're still on the air. Finally, Vitamin Mineral Fusion is back in stock and now available for 25% off at InfoWarsStore.com. This specially formulated drink mix gives your body the essential vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and other beneficial compounds that support optimum health. Vitamin Mineral Fusion goes above and beyond the standard of vitamins and trace minerals. Our exclusive formula is loaded with 34 key ingredients, including vitamin C, E, D, B12, calcium, magnesium, zinc, selenium, L-glutamine, CoQ10, alpha-lipoic acid, folic acid riboflavin, and much more. Aside from bolstering your bodily functions, this drink mix is naturally delicious. 
And unlike capsules and vitamin pills, it's truly a pleasure to the taste buds. So if you haven't already, mix it up and take your health to the next level with Vitamin Mineral Fusion today. Now 25% off at InfoWarsStore.com. Please uh, remember, we are listener supported and we've got something back in stock that everybody needs that is so good to have in your medicine cabinet sports broadcast. We've got the best 30 parts per million colloidal silver out there. It's Silver Bullet. It's at InfoWarsStore.com. And you want to support the show, plus have something in your medicine cabinet, have to give to others. It's topical. You can also take it orally. Uh, it is. It really does a lot of amazing things, anti-infection, you name it. Nothing's a silver bullet, but it's as close to a silver bullet as you're going to get. Silver bullet, back in stock, discounted, InfoWarsStore.com. And we also have Brain Force Ultra, the incredible fast-acting nootropic back in stock, 60% off part of the big sale, the new sale we've got. Immune support, organic, green fibers, 50% off. Those are both incredible. Vitamin D3 gummies, amazing. Infowarsstore.com or 888-253-3139. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host on the show today. More news about election integrity issues from the left. Bridgeport election overturned after city official pleads fifth ballot harvesting. I've often asked the question on Twitter, if it was possible to cheat in an election, would politicians cheat? And of course, the answer is yes. And he followed up saying, okay, so... Is it possible to cheat in an election? Of course, the answer is yes. Therefore, politicians must be cheating in elections, right? It's possible. If it was possible, they would cheat. It is possible. Therefore, they are cheating. It's not very controversial, very hard to believe, regardless of whether you're accusing Republicans or Democrats. It's not very hard to believe that politicians or political candidates would cheat in an election if it were possible or their staff would get carried away with the competition and cheat in the election if it were possible. And so when we see stories like that, of course, I'm not surprised. What surprises me the most is how people on the left can say with such certainty that Bernie Sanders had the election stolen from him when he was running against Hillary Clinton in the primary in 2016, yet they just deny it vehemently whenever you make any sort of accusations of voter fraud in the 2020 election. And then now we see this manifesting in elections all over the country where people are getting caught cheating, usually from the left, if not exclusively from the left. A Bridgeport, Connecticut judge ruled on Wednesday to overturn the city's Democratic primary election after video emerged of a woman who appears to be the city's vice chair of Democratic Town Committee, Wanda Getter Pataki, committing ballot fraud. Benny Johnson tweets, footage showed Wanda Getter Pataki, vice chair of the Bridgeport Democratic Town Committee and operations specialist for the city, operations specialist, I'll say, and Anita Martinez, a former city council member, stuffing ballot drop boxes. In a 37-page ruling, Judge William Clark ordered a new Democratic primary based on 100 pieces of evidence presented by legal counsel for mayoral candidate John Gomez, who posted the following video to Facebook on September 16th and was seen by the court. Of course, we've been showing Footage here on the screen of ballot stuffing taking place. 
Mr. Ganim was also correct to be shocked at what he saw on the video clips and evidence that were shown to him while he was on the witness stand, wrote Judge Clark, referring to incumbent Mayor Joe Ganim. The videos are shocking to the court and should be shocking to all parties. Gannon was one of the many city officials called to the Fairfield Judicial District Superior Courthouse for questioning, along with Wanda Getter Pataki, vice chair of the Bridgeport Democratic Town Committee and operations specialist for the city, and Anita Martinez, a former city council member accused by Gomez of stuffing ballot drop boxes. At the witness stand, Gannon told the court he was shocked by an 18-minute video subpoenaed by Gomez from Bridgeport Police that appeared to show 12 instances of Getter Pataki either depositing stacks of ballots herself or handing ballots to others from behind her reception desk and four instances of Martinez dropping off ballots. Asked about the footage during the hearings, both Getter Pataki and Martinez asserted their Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination. Gannon, who appeared to win the primary by 250 votes after a count of absentee ballots, denied any involvement in the alleged fraud. And it is possible that there was no involvement from this candidate in terms of the fraud itself. It is possible that staffers get carried away. I know what it's like to work on a campaign. I know what it's like to be a candidate in a campaign, at least at the student government level. And even at that level, it gets a little intense. And staff is always trying to do everything it can to win. It's just, it's just hyper-competitive. It's like professional sports. It's like deflate gate. Any little advantage will be taken advantage of. Anytime there's any way to get an edge, the edge is to be gotten. And so it doesn't surprise me at all to see this. And I'm sure that we'll see more and more of this. These, of course, being sort of hyper-local elections. So the vibe when you read these headlines is that there's no federal implications. But if this is happening at those levels then it's almost certainly happening at the federal level. And you also have to keep in mind that many of our politicians in office at the federal level, they start at the local level. And it's just now with things like surveillance footage and the intensity that is the Internet in terms of hyper-communication and intensity of information that we're able to catch people doing stuff like this. So how long has this really been going on? How long have things like ballot stuffing been occurring? And the answer, I think, is ever since ever. And so many of our politicians now that are at the highest levels of government, if they started as a city council person or as a mayor or as a state legislator or as a governor, whatever, were likely elected in part because of some sort of cheating at the smaller elections when the municipalities have less sophisticated methods of surveilling these candidates, these elections, And so they sneak their way in, and then they use the publicity of that office to propel them to the next office, and they climb the ladders of power, but the foundation is all often based off of a lie. Even in the context of the Sam Bankman-Fried information, I mean, we know that that guy was a major fraudster, and he gave how many millions, how many billions of dollars to Democratic candidates, to Democratic PACs, to Democratic efforts? And so now is anyone that he helped, is any candidate or campaign that he helped sort of built on a lie because that money was raised because of fraud? And then once these politicians get in power, we have these global conflicts. They're supposed to be representing our interests, but since they cheated, they aren't really representing us or thinking of us as constituents. And we have... These conflicts, these World War III starting level problems that manifest because of their incompetence, incompetence, of course, which they compensate for by cheating. 
And then we have policies come out in the wake of these wars that are just more inflammatory, like the U.S. announcing an Islamophobia strategy right after Israel, of course, was attacked by terrorists on October 7th. And, of course, we know that Israel's response has been questionable, to say the least, in terms of the civilian casualties that they have exacted on the enemies of Israel. President Joe Biden's administration will develop a strategy to combat Islamophobia in the U.S., the White House said on Thursday after reports of widespread discontent among American Muslims over Washington's support for Israel. Quote, President Biden ran for office to restore the soul of our nation. He is unequivocal. There is no place for hate in America against anyone, period. I take issue with that claim. We have a right to hate in this country. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said in a statement for too long, Muslims in America and those perceived to be Muslim, such as Arabs and Sikhs, have endured a disproportionate number of hate-fueled attacks and other discriminatory incidents. Developing the comprehensive and detailed plan to protect Muslims and those perceived to be Muslim for any reason from discrimination, hate, bigotry, and violence will be a joint project of the Domestic Policy Council and the National Security Council in partnership with local communities, a White House official told CNN. So here we go, folks. Just another example of the government taking advantage of any incident, any conflict, and using it as an excuse to do things like surveil the people of America, censor their speech, increase regulations on social media platforms, whatever it takes for them to gain as much power over thought, word, and deed, they will do. And they're doing so despite the fact that both sides of this conflict in Israel and Hamas, both sides of this conflict are minorities who have traditionally been faced with discrimination, but we see our administration coming out and accusing Islamophobia being the issue. The reason they're, cho- they're saying that, the reason they're choosing to combat Islamophobia is because they know that the right wing supports Israel, and by picking Islamophobia as the issue, they can be antagonistic toward right wing voters exclusively. Stick with us, folks, more after this break on the other side. Sleepless nights seem to be a lot more common these days with everything that's going on both at home and the world at large. If you are having trouble getting to that deep sleep we could all use more of, our new sleep support formula, Down and Out, is just the thing. It's our new, faster-absorbing liquid formula that is specifically designed to help you get the shut-eye you deserve. Formulated to improve upon our best-selling product, Knockout, with Down and Out, now the herbs and melatonin packed inside are extracted directly into the glycerin solution. So the ingredients are already dissolved into the formula before you even take it. One of the other sleep support herbs included is the passion flower, which was traditionally used by Native Americans like the Cherokees, who used it for its relaxing qualities. Be sure to take this product when you are completely ready for sleep, because you will be down and out. Selling out now at InfoWarsStore.com. InfoWars.com is tomorrow's news today. You're listening to The American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Welcome back to The American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host today. We were talking a lot yesterday about Russia's strategy, and I have tweeted that the United States is being cold warred. 
for, and the United States has not, while we sink ourselves into debt, and hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians, estimates upwards of 450,000 Ukrainians die in the conflict, we are a nation divided, while Russia seems to be doing quite well. Russia's Ukraine strategy is to outlast American aid, according to Austin. Russian military strategy in Ukraine is currently focused on outlasting the United States. Their will to provide equipment rather than making serious advances, Pentagon leadership says. Russian President Vladimir Putin believes that he can wait for the United States to stop funding Ukraine before recommitting his forces to the attempted conquest of the nation, said Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. And I think he's probably right. But even if we give them aid, it doesn't matter how many guns we give them. It doesn't matter how many tanks or missiles or rockets or whatever we give them. They simply don't have enough boots on the ground, enough bodies in the fight anymore since they've all been either killed or injured to the point of not being able to conduct combat. And so it's getting to a point where there just simply aren't enough soldiers in Ukraine to stop a Russian advance. Now, of course, we have this conflict between Israel and Palestine. We've got China on the brink of recapturing Taiwan. And we've got this conflict continuing between Russia and Ukraine, all while our Speaker of the House is indicating that he's willing to tie Israeli aid, aid to Israel, with aid to Ukraine. And we're fighting a financial war on multiple fronts. Meanwhile, our own people are suffering here. Our veterans aren't being taken care of. Our border is being flooded by upwards of 10 million people since the Bidens took office. And it seems like Joe Biden is losing on every single front. Like, even if I think about the worst presidents of all time, Carter's one that comes to mind is a terrible president from the 20th century. I can still name a couple of good things that that guy did. Obviously, he did the Habitat for Humanity thing after he was president. But while he was president, he famously pardoned all the people who dodged the draft to fight the war in Vietnam, an unjust war, which recruited soldiers in an unjust way via the draft, forcing people to fight for a cause they don't believe against their will is something that I think is morally atrocious, perhaps only justified if a country is being faced with a domestic invasion like Ukraine. That makes sense to draft people when Ukraine's being invaded. So that's one thing that Jimmy Carter did that I agree with. You know, and I think he was a smart guy. I just think he was a bad president. But I can't think of a single way in which Joe Biden has had a win since he's been president. And I know that I'm a biased guy. I work at InfoWars. I'm a right-wing guy. I got a right-wing podcast. I know that I am a biased person, but I can name good things that people I disagree with have accomplished. No problem. Even AOC said some things I agreed with about APAC yesterday. I think Bill Clinton did a great job working with Republicans during his presidency while Newt Gingrich was Speaker of the House. I don't think he was a perfect president. I think the Clintons are evil and corrupt, but I think he did a lot of good things. It wasn't so bad. So my point is... Even the people we disagree with oftentimes do something good or competent. If you have like a boss or a manager that you don't agree with all the time, that you don't really like, you could probably still identify a handful of things that that person has done that you agree with or that were really helpful. But with Joe Biden, I can't think of a single thing that he has accomplished that I'm like, all right, good job. I'm literally sitting here trying to like run through, okay, what happened in this year? What happened in this year? What happened? What did he do? Now build back better. That was atrocious. We had trains falling off the rails in East Palestine during that time. I don't agree with any of his foreign policy issues. The whole world is on the brink of war. Our economy is doing terrible. He says that unemployment's reaching record lows, but most of those jobs that have come back are just coming back because they were lost during the pandemic. 
And instead of working one good job to pay your bills, people are having to work three crappy jobs to pay their bills. So all of his claims about the economy and Bidenomics being such a great thing are just not true. We know that bankruptcies are up 20%. We know that mortgage rates are over 8% now. We know that everybody's struggling. He hasn't done one thing right. And even the dumbest person can at least get one win. If you play 100 games of checkers against somebody who's really dumb, they might beat you like three of the times just because sheer luck or determination or you're getting tired or lazy and then they're hyper-focused, whatever. But I can't think of a single win that Joe Biden has had as president. And so I can't understand for a moment why it is that we have any hope or why it is that any foreign leader would expect any sort of U.S. victory in any of these conflicts while Joe Biden is president. So there's a case to be made for election interference from foreign nationals. It seems to me that Russia and China and these major opponents of the United States would have been pushing for Joe Biden to be president because, after all, a weak America is a strong enemy of America. And so I don't even know where they were getting these claims that Russia wanted to come after our elections and get Trump elected. The last thing any of our enemies, any of these nations, these superpowers want is for Trump to be in office. Maybe that's why the Chinese let the Wuhan virus spread all over the world because they knew that if they could put the United States in a state of crisis, in a state of pandemic pandemonia, that it was the greatest chance they had at Trump not being reelected. And I misspoke. I do know where they got these Russian hoax ideas from. They made them up. We, of course, know that. But there were a lot of people on the left who bought it. A lot, a lot of voters at the level, just they just thought Putin and Trump were so similar. So Putin, of course, would want somebody similar in office here in the United States. They're both sort of populist, strong men types. They talk a big talk. They're cold. They're callous. Whatever. But it doesn't make any sense from a logical standpoint. Why would you ever... As a foreigner, as a foreign leader, why would you ever want a very strong sort of populist, nationalist type person leading a country that's perceived as an opponent? Doesn't make any sense at all. So we'll see if Russia succeeds in the strategy of outlasting the United States. I think no matter what, even if we give even if even if we give Ukraine infinite aid forever. They're just not going to have any people there to receive or accept or maximize the use of that aid. We see Ukraine's top commander has made a surprising first-time admission. Merely a month ago, before the world's attention and global media rapidly shifted from Ukraine to becoming solely fixated on the Israeli-Gaza war, there were some things you weren't supposed to say, and if you did, you ran the risk of being denounced and branded as pro-Kremlin or a Putin sympathizer. Top of the list of banned talking points was the observation that Ukraine is failing or even losing in the counteroffensive and in its overall war aim of pushing back the Russian invaders. But fast forward, and this week, Ukraine's top military commander, General Valery Zaluzny, has admitted that there will be no breakthrough and the battlefield situation is in a stalemate. I think a stalemate is probably even an exaggeration. He made the remarks to The Economist, and the omission has caught the eye of other major publications, most notably the New York Times, which underscored his comments marked the first time a top Ukrainian commander said the fighting had reached an impasse. 
Additionally, the New York Times described that it is the most candid assessment so far by a leading Ukrainian official of the military's stalled counteroffensive. This is the type of rhetoric we see from a nation that is about ready to abandon its leader. I don't even think toward the end of World War II that there was a lot of public statements coming from leaders that Germany was about to lose, German leaders. Of course, there was all sorts of doubt and awareness within the administration, but to make public statements like this, and I don't think this was just a faux pas or a mistake. I think that Zelensky is losing support. I think I, I would be surprised if he didn't have some sort of a military coup happen where the soldiers just turn on him and then surrender. See with us, folks, more news in the next segment. In the meantime, make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com. Check out some of our amazing products. Now, some of the best sales in the history of this network, 60% off Brainforce Ultra, a product I love and adore and take as often as I can remember. Change your state of mind in minutes with Brainforce Ultra. Be better, faster, stronger, smarter today at InfoWarsStore.com. Last year, we put this book out, The Great Reset and the War for the World. It became a number one national bestseller. Now we've put part two out, and it's even thicker and more powerful. The Great Awakening, the plan to defeat the globalists and launch the second great renaissance. This is such a powerful book. It covers all the globalist plans, the latest developments, how to stop them, and then gives an alternate plan of the society we could build together. That's why it's The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening is happening right now. You can get signed or unsigned copies of the book at InfoWarsStore.com. This is a historic book. I want to thank you all for your support. This is next-level information, and it's a great way to not just support the broadcast, but inform yourself to the next level and share the book with friends and family. So whether you want one copy or multiple copies, go now to InfoWarsStore.com and get The Great Awakening. This is going to go to number one. I want to thank you for your support. It's a powerful book. Get yours now. In the early 1900s, certain companies were off-gassing highly toxic fluoride gases into the atmosphere. The surrounding communities began to get sick. Laws were enacted to compel these corporations to install scrubbers to convert these gases into fluorosilicic acid, still highly toxic but containable. Now these companies had a stockpile of this poison, and there was no affordable way to dispose of it. Lucky for them, one of their major stockholders was also the Secretary of the Treasury, who was responsible for the public health service at the time. And by 1950, the U.S. government began buying this toxic, untreated industrial waste product and dumping it into our drinking water. Reputable studies show that it's causing various cancers and other disease. With the Alexa Pure Pro, you can have clean drinking water and a remedy to this madness. Available now at InfoWarsStore.com. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back to The American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host today. We've got a couple of, we've got one great guest coming up halfway through the next hour. We'll be taking some calls in the third hour today. More news to cover until then. China's largest memory chip maker forced to raise capital due to U.S. blacklist. So this ties into what we've been talking about, about Russia sort of holding out to ensure that the United States ceases its aid before doing further advances. 
Of course, we don't know whether or not we're going to have an infinite supply of aid to Ukraine or not. We might as well, since we just print our own money anyway. And this, of course, in the context of the conflict that we have with Israel and Gaza in our funding there, dividing our financial front in terms of allies whom we support, and then China positioning itself to invade Taiwan. And we've been talking a lot about how World War III starts and and how I think that these conflicts are actually about the United States trying to preserve its status with the U.S. dollar as the global reserve currency. And what we do is we whip our allies and our enemies into submission with financial sanctions. And we're able to do that because the U.S. dollar is a global reserve currency. We're able to ensure that banks hold funds that actually belong to Iran, for example, because they have to trade in dollars. And this is why we have created so many enemies throughout the world. These countries are sick of our sanctions, of our bossing them around, of our wars that they have to pretend to ignore or that they have to pretend to endorse. Because they are so dependent on a financial system controlled by our central banks. And so when you have situations where we're putting sanctions or blacklists on China that interfere with their ability to create technology, to sell technology, to support their economy, then you create an enemy that inches ever closer to violence. So why wouldn't they take Taiwan if we're shutting down their ability to make chips in their own nation? The article goes on to say, it appears as though Washington's chip controls on China are starting to make a profound impact. Last December, Washington added Yangtze Memory Technologies Corp to its trade blacklist, and now the company, China's largest memory chip maker, is being forced to raise billions of dollars in new capital after burning through $7 billion over the past year, FT has reported. The company is also prohibited from procuring U.S. equipment to manufacture its chips, the report says. While Financial Times was unable to confirm the exact amount the company had to raise, they reported it was equivalent to billions of dollars. The Wuhan-based YMTC is central to the nation's semiconductor self-sufficiency ambition. Yet since last fall, U.S. restrictions have limited its access to advanced chip tech after a $7 billion capital boost from backers like China's big fund last year. The company has rapidly expended funds on equipment and new components. So basically, our foreign policies are pushing China to the point of no choice but to take Taiwan, Taiwan being a major source of semiconductor production. And then they're going to do it, and we're going to act like this is a terrible humanitarian crisis, that Taiwan has a right to exist on its own, which maybe it does, but it's none of our business. And we're going to use it as an excuse to send more money, send more aid, and pump the military-industrial complex with as much cash as possible, cash which will be printed artificially by our very own Federal Reserve, which will act as an inflationary tax on the people, making suffering... For the middle class, so great that it could potentially even eradicate the middle class, all while our politicians line their pockets with the kickback, kickback we know exists because of the evidence on the laptops. This article here following the $40,000 from China to Joe Biden's bank account being an example of how Our politicians get kicked back for selling out the interests of the American people to foreign nationals. The $40,000 Joe, the big guy Biden received was exactly 10% of the $400,000 Hunter Biden received from the CEFC. So that is the 10% to the big guy. 
Joe Biden received $40,000 from Chinese communists funneled through his son and brother and their businesses. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer revealed Wednesday morning. So we have proof here that China has, excuse me, that Biden has sold out the United States to China, at least while he was vice president of the United States of America. He was certainly doing that through his son, Hunter, as a proxy, a son whose conscience is so plagued with guilt that he can't do anything except for rotate in circles and film himself while on a crack cocaine binge. And we have the likes of Donald Trump facing accusation after accusation, allegation after allegation, prosecution after prosecution, and persecution after persecution, such that it has shifted beyond just Donald Trump to anyone who has ever worked for Donald Trump, with the likes of Jenna Ellis coming out in a tearful confession, the likes of which I haven't seen since Otto Wambier confessed in North Korea to his great crimes before they killed him. For doing basically nothing except for maybe perhaps stealing a poster off of a wall. And now it's extended beyond just staffers and Trump to actual Trump supporters we know with the J6 protesters being sentenced to decades in prison with Owen Schroyer himself being sentenced to two months in prison and facing solitary confinement a second time in less than two weeks that he's been imprisoned. But we actually have real evidence of Joe Biden doing like the most heinous crap ever. Not to mention covering up the abuse of an underage family member by Hunter in order to save face. Can't wait for that autobiography to come out in 20 years. Joe will be long gone by then. And why is it that Joe Biden isn't facing prosecution now? Why is it that Hunter Biden is just getting slap on the wrist material? I can't wait for the day that I wake up and I come into the studio and either I'm covering the show today or Harrison's covering the show after Owen's back. And I see the headline that Joe Biden has issued a pardon of Hunter Biden for all crimes committed. I can't wait to see the headline because that's when we know it's almost over. That's when we know Joe Biden's almost done. And then, of course, it's going to be followed by the tragedy of a new, even more, or just as corrupt Democrat taking his place and running for office. And then we'll have this situation in which the Democrats have a brand new candidate that has a much higher approval rating because he hasn't been getting bashed the entire campaign by the Republican machine. It'll be like a fresh slate. It'll be that candidate against Donald Trump, who may or may not be on all the ballots in every state because of these kangaroo courts, versus RFK Jr., who will split the Trump vote, and all of a sudden, we'll have a Democrat we've been barely talking about as President of the United States of America. While Joe Biden goes scot-free, while Hunter Biden goes scot-free, don't you love it when a plan comes together? Unbelievable. you got to watch my language on the show. This, this is a family program. We're on radio. But every explicit word that comes to mind comes to mind. Central banks are on the course for a colossal year of gold buying, which is not a good sign either. If they believe the fiat is about ready to collapse, then where would they go? But for gold, after setting a record through the first half of the year, central banks continued to gobble up gold in the third quarter. Globally, central banks added a net 337 tons of gold in Q3, the second highest third quarter total on record behind 2022. So... The precious metals investment is really going through the roof. Just wait till the government announces that it's going to seize your gold. Wouldn't be the first time. 
Through the first nine months of the year, central banks bought a net 800 tons of gold. That's 14% more than through the same period in 2022. The People's Bank of China led the way, adding another 78 tons of gold to its holdings in the quarter. The Chinese central bank has bought gold for 11 straight months since the beginning of the year. The People's Bank of China has increased its reserves by 181 tons, and it has added 232 tons since it resumed official purchases in November of 2022. As of the end of September, China officially held 2,192 tons of gold, making up 4% of its total reserves. Of course, we know that China is very discreet about its gold reserves because it likely doesn't want to alarm the markets prematurely and let the world know what it's doing. And I believe it doesn't release accurate numbers about the amount of gold that actually mines domestically. So we see reports of how much it's buying on the international market, how much it's importing on the international market, but we don't have access to the numbers except for what the CCP shares with us regarding how much of its own gold on its massive landmass it's mining and holding in reserves. So we see these central banks throughout the world positioning themselves for a backup plan in the event that there is a total shift in global reserve currencies in the fiat structure, in the fractional reserve banking centralized banking system that we have in the world. And that's likely going to happen in the face of World War III. And at the end of World War III, we're going to see a similar thing than what we saw to what we saw at the end of World War II, a conglomeration of nations coming together, deciding what to do in terms of global economic policy moving forward. And he who has the most gold and the most robust economy will be he who is the global reserve currency moving forward. That's what happened last time. It's likely to be what happens again. Stick with us, folks. We're about ready to go to break. Make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com. Great guest in the next hour. More news to cover and then your calls, of course, later on. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back on the other side. Please uh, remember, we are listener-supported, and we've got something back in stock that everybody needs that is so good to have in your medicine cabinet sports broadcast. We've got the best 30 parts per million colloidal silver out there. It's Silver Bullet. It's at InfoWarsStore.com. And if you want to support the show, plus have something in your medicine cabinet, have to give to others. It's topical. You can also take it orally. Uh, it is. It really does a lot of amazing things, anti-infection, you name it. Nothing's a silver bullet, but it's as close to a silver bullet as you're going to get. Silver bullet, back in stock, discounted, InfoWarsStore.com. And we also have Brain Force Ultra, the incredible fast-acting nootropic, back in stock, 60% off part of the big sale. The new sale we've got, immune support, organic, green fibers, 50% off. Those are both incredible. Vitamin D3 gummies, amazing. InfoWarsStore.com. Or 888 I mean, this is going to sound uh, somewhat melodramatic, but I was worried about that, that it was having a corrosive effect on civilization. Uh, that it was uh, just having a bad, a bad impact. Um, and um, I think part of it is that it, it's where... It's where it was located, which is, uh, you know, downtown San Francisco. Um, and while I, I think San Francisco is a beautiful city and, and we should really fight hard to um, kind of right the ship of San Francisco, if you've walked around downtown San Francisco, right near the ex-FKA Twitter headquarters, it's a zombie apocalypse. I mean, it's rough. Have you, have you been, been in that area? Not lately. No. Yeah. I've heard. It's crazy. 
I've heard it's crazy. I've heard you you really can't believe it until you actually go there. You can't believe it until you go there. So now you have to say, well, what philosophy led to that outcome? And that philosophy was being piped to Earth. So, um, you know, a philosophy that would be ordinarily quite niche and geographically constrained, so that that sort of the fallout uh, area would be limited, um, was effectively given an information a weapon, um, a tech, uh, information technology weapon to propagate uh, what is essentially a mind virus to the rest of Earth. Um, and the outcome of that mind virus is very clear if you walk around the streets of downtown San Francisco. It is the end of civilization. And it's not just uh, propagating the mind virus, but suppressing any opposing viewpoints. Yes. Well, in order for the virus to propagate, it must suppress opposing viewpoints. So... Because it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, I mean, you've, you, you, you've, you've felt the, the virus. Yeah. Know. Yeah. People have tried to cancel you so many times. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, now I don't think you're melodramatic at all. I, I, I think it's, uh, it's a, I mean, I don't want to be melodramatic, but it's almost like a death cult. It's a death cult. No, no, it, it, that is exactly right. Um, it, it, uh, it, it's essentially the. Uh, extinctionists like it's in the limit it is that they're propagating uh, the extinction of humanity and civilization um, and, and there's some people who are, are like most most of the time it's it's implicit they don't explain it's but sometimes it's explicit like there's a guy on the front page of the New York Times uh, who it literally has the thing called the extinctionist movement um, and he was quoted on the front page of the New York Times as saying uh, there are eight billion people on the world but it would be better if there were none and I'm like, well, buddy, you can start with yourself. Yeah. Um, Does he have friends? That's what always fascinates me. <laughs> well, here he is. That guy. Uh, he looks like he's not long for this earth. I mean, he doesn't. He's Voluntary not human extinction movement. That's hilarious. Pe- pe- spent. De- I'd like to party with that dude. <laughs> okay. I would just like to like. That's yeah. the, that's 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 the de- that's the, that's an explicit version of the death cult. Yeah, maybe the you live long cult. and die out. It's. Like, I mean, it's it's not. Uh, the extinction is a word he uses. Yes. No, I mean, it's not a. It's literally a self-description. Do they cover that him death glowingly? Cult was in charge of in social, in social media. Yeah. And still largely is at uh, Google and Facebook, by the way. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm not in favor of uh, human extinction. Uh, they are, and uh, they can go to hell. And it, these extinctionists are so intimately tied to the climate change crisis, the climate change issue. We see this new article from Zero Hedge today. Policies meant to address climate change can worsen human suffering. According to this report, this is, a conver- this is like a conversation I had with the great Alex Epstein. Who wrote an awesome book on fossil fuels, making the case that fossil fuels were actually better for humanity than this climate change Green New Deal. We're going to get more into that in the next segment. We only have a few seconds left of this first five of the hour here. But I'll dive in deep on how the leftists, how the globalists are using climate change not only to make money and kick back from themselves, but to actually push forward their depopulation agenda. When we hear people like Kamala Harris say reducing the population, it's not just a Freudian slip. It's not just a, a sort of a faux pas type situation. They, they mean it. They believe in it. They want those who are a burden, a drag on the state to be eradicated. 
They want the remaining of the people, the earners, to work and give to them, to pay taxes to them, and they want to live on the power for eternity because they believe they are destined for either hell or the eternal abyss. Join Chase Geyser in the American Journal, the melting pot of America's diverse voices on InfoWars. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host today. From Zero Hedge policies meant to address climate change can worsen human suffering. After all, those in a most desperate state globally rely most on fossil fuels. And so when we talk about these green initiatives, it's not just wealthy, upper middle class Americans who are meant to do their part to save the climate. It's actually those who are most vulnerable throughout the world who rely the most on fossil fuels because it is still by far the cheapest way to get energy. And when you do international policies in order to mitigate this negative impact on our climate, you are disproportionately impacting people of color in third world countries. So Kamala Harris can talk all she wants about how the right-wing policies are disproportionately impacting and harming and hate is disproportionately affecting those who are Muslim or perceived to be Muslim or those who are of color. But nothing will hurt those demographics which she pretends to actually care about more than these green initiatives. And don't get me wrong, folks. I don't think that the, the people of the world have zero impact on the environment. I don't think that the things that we do have no negative impact. I think we should be good stewards of this planet. After all, in the Bible, we were made in a garden and charged with tending the garden. So we have to take care of our planet, but we are the masters of the planet. It was made for us. We were not made for it. So while we should be responsible and not pollute unnecessarily and not throw our trash out the windows of our car and recycle where it makes sense to recycle, all that stuff is fine. But when you talk about top-down government control over how things are manufactured and the world operates, it's really just them using this climate issue as an excuse to expand their power over the private sector to create a fascist society where they are the fascists in leadership and we are the subjects. They want to reinstate this feudalism so they can exact control. And once they have control of the supply chain, they'll have control over all the people because we'll be so desperate that we'll give up all of our liberties in exchange for mercy. Few people today would deny the negative impacts that pollution and climate change can have on human health and well-being. The challenges lie in tackling this given that there are almost always trade-offs that must be addressed. Yet people can fail to acknowledge them when they have a singular focus on a particular outcome that favors a particular industry. Consider this hypothetical example the article goes on to say. Which would you prefer provide electricity to your home? A polluting coal plant or solar panels made with slave labor? <laughs> the answer should obviously be to reject slave labor. But what if you had to choose? Complicating this further, how does one weigh the human suffering caused by pollution from a coal plant compared to the violation of human rights for producing solar panels? So not only are we talking about the unethical way in which green infrastructure is being built and manufactured and installed. 
But there's also the fact of the matter that we do things like threaten to cut off funding for nations unless they meet certain quotas as they relate to climate initiatives. Then the people of those nations suffer on the ground. Why is it that I can't use coal for my electricity? Okay, I guess I won't have any electricity then except for one day a week now because I can't afford how expensive this green energy is. This is the way that it operates. And when I spoke with Alex Epstein on my podcast, he wrote an awesome book. We'll have to pull up the cover of that book. It was really, really good. I don't know if you can find it on Amazon, but I can't remember the full name of it, but it's about how fossil fuels are actually better for humanity than these green initiatives and how this climate initiative is really exaggerated. The climate issue is exaggerated as an excuse to get money to special interests as an excuse to expand federal power. And really it's rooted in Marxism because the whole philosophy behind these climate initiatives, the philosophy is that human beings are a plague on the earth and the earth would be better off without any humans at all. It's like a resurgence or a reframing of mass human sacrifice we saw from the likes of the Mayans. This New York Times headline from November of last year is Earth now has 8 billion humans. This man wishes there were none. From Portland, Oregon, Portland of all places. What a beautiful, beautiful hellhole. For someone who wants his own species to go extinct, Les Knight is a remarkably happy-go-lucky human. <laughs> he has regularly hosted meteor shower parties with rooftop fireworks. He organized a long-running game of nude croquet in his backyard, which should be mentioned is ringed by 20-foot-tall laurel hedges. Even Tucker Carlson proved no match for Mr. Knight's ebullience. During a 2005 interview with Mr. Knight on MSNBC, Mr. Carlson criticized him for espousing the sickest of beliefs, but then added, you are one of the cheeriest guests we've ever had. They're going to be happy as they watch you die from their thrones. Mr. Knight, now 75, is the founder of the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement, which is less a movement than a loose consortium of people who believe that the best thing humans can do to help the earth is to stop having children. Mr. Knight added the word voluntary decades ago to make it clear that adherents do not support mass murder or forced birth control, nor do they encourage suicide. Their ethos is echoed in their motto, may we live long and die out. And in another one of their slogans, which Mr. Knight hangs at various conventions and street fairs, thank you for not breeding. This is just the sickest, most atrocious, anti-human crap I have ever heard. It is such an unhealthy philosophy to wish your fellow Man did not exist. On November 15th, the earth became home to a record 8 billion human beings. Of course, this is November 15th of 2022. Despite declining birth rates, the number uh, is forecast to peak at 10.4 billion in the coming decades, in large part because of increases in life expectancy and decreases in child mortality. Mr. Knight is among those who believe that overpopulation is a main factor in the climate crisis, but that idea can be fraught. Poor countries that are heavily populated, such as India, contribute relatively little per capita to the greenhouse gas emissions that are heating the planet. Wealthy countries with relatively smaller populations, like the United States, are generating most of the pollution that is driving global warming. Assuming that pollution is actually driving global warming. And so the people who are least causing the problem are actually the most disproportionately impacted by these green policies because they depend on this fossil energy more than other countries, first world countries who can afford 
to sustain some of the costs of these green initiatives. So we'll see how this plays out as the globalists look for any excuse possible to eradicate human beings off of the face of the planet. Another report from Zero Hedge. Why are the globalists calling climate change a public health crisis? In the same vein here. The global elite plan to introduce a near-permanent global state of emergency by rebranding climate change as a public health crisis. This is worse than COVID, they're saying. This is not news, but the ongoing campaign has been accelerating in recent weeks. I've written about this a lot over the last few years, says the writer Kit Knightley of this article. See here and here and here. It started almost as soon as COVID started and has been steadily progressing ever since with some reports calling climate change worse than COVID. But if they keep talking about it, I'll keep writing and hopefully the awareness will spread. Anyway, there's a renewed push on the climate equals public health crisis front. It started, as so many things do, with Bill Gates stating in an interview with MSNBC in late September, quote, we have to put it all together. It's not just climate's over here and health is over here. The two are interacting. So why is it that the globalists who we know don't actually care about humanity? Why is it that organizations who we know don't actually have consciences are pretending that they care so much about these humanitarian issues when we know that they don't. The reason is because these green energy initiatives are a way for them to get kickback on money to contractors for the new technologies and the new developments. And it's a way to subjugate humanity, to create perpetual states of emergency that allow for international dictatorship. It's just like what we saw with Caesar. As long as there's an emergency, there's justification for tyranny. Emergency equals tyranny throughout history, now, and throughout the future. It always has, always will. Keep with us, folks. More on the other side. The satanic New World Order is betting against humanity. They're betting on our weakness. They believe they can destabilize civilization and bring us down into the ashes of history. Trap they've laid for us will be their destruction, not ours. If we trust in God and if we are valiant and have courage to speak the truth and not comply and engage in civil disobedience and not join the masses who have decided that they are the scum of the earth, who have decided that they will join with this soulless corporate system. As for InfoWars, we are going to steadfastly continue to fight in the information war with our weapon, the truth, against the enemies of humanity. And we put our faith, and we put our trust, and we put our destiny in the hands of God. Because it's been said a trillion times, if God be with us, who can be against us? The eugenicists, over a hundred years ago, were very public about their plans. They financed major universities, they ran full-page stories and advertisements pushing their propaganda at the New York Times, other major newspapers that the family as we know it is a bad thing and must be ended. And the first step in that is getting women out of the household and teaching women that cooking dinner and taking care of your sons and daughters and husbands is a bad thing. And I was just sitting here tonight making dinner for my daughter, my four and a half year old daughter. My wife makes dinner a lot of times, but I like to make it as well. I love to make breakfast. And literally it's the funnest thing on earth to make food for your family and be nurturative and then all sit down together and have that communal event. And that's what the system is attacking and bombarding, is our normal 
biological actions are coming together. They really are sick, evil, scientific cult of filth that want to domesticate us and turn us into lab rats. We cannot let this continue. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Culturally, we're, we're sort of at this impasse where the anti-humanists think they're pro-humanists because it's all about sacrifice for whatever this greater good may be and, and, and these cultural issues. And, and there's always the sacrifice of self and the, the shaming of self for the sake of everyone else who may be less privileged or going through something. And I just think that it's sort of the inverse of what the actual moral approach may be if you rationally think through it. What, what do you think? I think there's a lot to that. And I don't think it's any accident that Ayn Rand is a ver- is the most powerful, in my view, critic of collectivism and also of the modern environmental movement. And that at the core, she's identifying both of them as sacrificing the individual and thus ultimately anti-human in that way. And I think the modern environmental movement is more obviously anti-human because if you think of it, its goal is really about eliminating human impact on nature I mean, that's really what green means. And it's pretty clear for, I mean, they try to disguise it, but it's pretty clear. Like you hear about like the, you know, human impact treated as a bad thing. I mean, that's right. If you think about that, like if you treat bear impact as a bad thing, you probably don't like bears, right? You kind of want to get rid, or if you treat human population as a bad thing, probably means you don't like humans. So there's this element of you're sacrificing, but what are you sacrificing to? You're sacrificing not even to supposedly benefit other humans, but to make earth as non-human as possible it's not even about benefiting some other species it's about like ridding the planet as much as possible of our evil presence and so there's this question of why like why there's this hostility toward us doing things like this it's a deep hatred at of of us really and and uh one point that i another point i got from ayn rand in this connection is just She, you know, a lot of her analysis of collectivism and and modern philosophy is a hostility toward the human mind and a real hatred of man's capacity to reason, humans' capacity to reason. And you definitely see this with the environmental movement because you think like they're hostile to human impact. That means hostile to the man made or the human made, right? What's the essence of the man made? It's that it's something that was determined by a mind. That right, that's that's the essence of it. Like versus being determined you know, by evolutionary forces or whatever. Like it's determined deliberately by a mind, and they think that's ugly. Is it because and it's I someone think, else's mind? So they feel like that they lost jurisdiction. Well, I think I think there's a big there's a lot of envy motive type motivations yeah. for anti-human ideas. Like this definitely applies to collectivism. Maybe even more obviously to collectivism because you see like. Why does somebody want to condemn the Steve Jobs or the Jeff Bezos or the Elon? Like, is it really that they think they got screwed by this individual? Or is it that they, they like an idea that allows that individual to not be superior to them? Like all these sacrifice ideas, insofar as you worship failure and you punish productivity, like it makes the failures morally superior to the successes. Like the industrialists right. change from kind of superior at least in the material realm to like no those are the bad people and the environmental movement is totally like this because it's impact right like oh well if, if you know and you even see this among conservatives just totally like too much on like oh you're driving a yacht or a private jet and it's just like that's sort of bad 
Like that's right. sort of a bad thing and we should versus oh, that's cool. That's cool that somebody figured out a way to just fly themselves wherever they want. Like most of us can drive ourselves and hopefully we can have a world where many more of us can do that. So I think there, there is a lot of envy, um, envy motivation that, there. Do you think and we can see here that the electronic sort of EV electronic vehicle market it's just an example of how green energy isn't sustainable yet. So where we use green energy, we often charge batteries with fossil fuels, first of all. And second of all, it's just too expensive, so it disproportionately impacts the poor. Really, only the rich are able to afford to pretend to be contributing to this green initiative. The rise and fall of EV hype in one chart you can see here on this Zero Hedge article just shows that as Things get tighter in our economy as things become more expensive, as inflation increases, as bankruptcies go up, as mortgage rates go up. People aren't going to be spending an extra twenty to $50,000 on a car just because they can plug it into a wall when the alternative is so much less expensive. The limited availability of electric vehicles and low interest rates push prices sky high in 2022. That has all since changed this year. Let's begin with the GMC Hummer EV. Limited production and cheap interest rates pushed the price of the truck on the secondary market to as high as $275,000. Those with reservations could purchase the EV for around $100,000. Sticker price there. And bring a trailer auction results show a bunch of idiots paid a hefty premium for the Hummer EV, including 275 k on April 1st of 2022, 238k on May 23rd of 2022, and between September 2022 and June 2023, more than a dozen sold over the 150k mark. Now comes the fun part. Prices have been cr- cratering this fall. On October 17th, a Hummer EV sold for 122k, while several others failed to reach the reserve. The most recent one on Wednesday was unable to meet the reserve, with bidders only willing to pay up to 112k. It just doesn't make sense to buy these cars, right? I mean, the Tesla cars are great, but it's just too expensive. It's not there yet. The only way that we could ever develop a technology, a green version of technology that actually is all the way there, would be if the military invested significant resources in developing this tech. That's the way most great technological advancements have occurred throughout history has been military advancement, especially in the realm of infrastructure. We know that the private sector has been the best at developing software, but in terms of actually making the internet, that was something that was only possible because of DARPA. And many of the technologies that we use in the private sector stem from military initiatives, especially throughout the Cold War. And the other aspect of this is what impact would it have if the world suddenly stopped trading oil? What impact would that have on the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency, a status which is only even possible because it's pegged to the trade of oil at OPEC. And so there's not really an incentive for our government, for our deep state, to even be a proponent of green energy. And so my theory, my conspiracy theory on this whole issue is that the government and our politicians in the state is pushing this green agenda in name only. They don't actually want to replace fossil fuels or oil because our currency depends on those. And so they're pushing these green initiatives, knowing that they're expensive, as an excuse to spend more and print more money so that the political class can get the kickback with the contractors, with the green energy developers, with the infrastructure, without ever actually solving the problem. It's like the same exact thing that we do with these international wars. We don't actually want to win the wars. We just want to wage the wars because waging the wars still gets us rich. 
even if we lose. Same with this war on fossil fuels, this war on humanity. They don't actually want to solve the green energy problem. They just want to wage the green energy debate so that they can make the kickback by giving tax dollars to these contractors, investing personally as the political class in these contractors, seeing the returns on their investments. That's why none of our problems are ever going to stop until we make it illegal for members of Congress, for members of the House of Representatives, for senators to invest in individual stocks in the market. Because as long as they can invest and as long as they are legally protected from insider trading laws, which we the people have to abide by as citizens, we're always going to see our politicians do things that are a conflict of interest with the American people because that's how they make their money. Stick with us, folks. More on the other side. A great guest coming up very shortly, the great John Doyle. Make sure in the meantime you visit InfoWarsStore.com. Take advantage of some of our awesome sales on this Friday, this payday. Get Rainforest Ultra at 60% off, among other products. Be the reason we're still on the air. More on the other side. Where were you when humanity was fighting for its life? Where were you when the globalists were caught trafficking millions of children for sex slavery worldwide? Where were you when the New World Order was starting World War III with Russia? Well, I know where you are. You're watching and listening to InfoWars.com right now, and I salute you and thank you. And I want to encourage all of you who've been in this fight so long to realize we've reached the critical juncture in the battle now. And a key tool in that fight is the Great Awakening, defeating the globalists and launching the next great renaissance. This is my second book, part two of The Great Reset and the War for the World. It's a longer book, a quite frankly, more powerful book. And just like the last book went to number one, it is up to you to send us to number one right now. This is a cultural fight against the globalists, and it funds the info war. Get signed or unsigned copies of The Great Awakening right now at InfoWarsStore.com. I want to thank you all for your support, but this is a book everybody needs. Get your copy of The Great Awakening right now. InfoWars.com is tomorrow's news today. You're tuned in to the American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host today. News to cover, and we will be taking calls. Having some connect, connection issues with John Doyle, so I'm not sure if he's going to make it on the show today until we get that resolved. We'll definitely keep you updated in that department. In the meantime, there's new reports that jobs come crashing down. October payrolls up only 150K, missing estimates, and follow more downward revisions. With the October jobs report already expected to be a big drop from September's 336K, as consensus expected, 108. 80K print. Moments ago, the BLS confirmed that last month's surge was nothing but a Bidenomics mirage. And as we warned in our preview, the October print indeed came crashing down to earth, sliding to 150K, a drop of more than 50% from the original September print and the second lowest since 2022. So jobs come crashing down. The world's biggest shipper is cutting 10,000 jobs, warns of subdued global trade. Global trade likely subduing, not only because the economy is terrible internationally, but because 
We are on the break of wor- brink of World War III, and in a world war, international trade becomes exceedingly more difficult as you can't trade with your enemies. So if we are engaged in imports and exports with China now, should World War III break out and there be a conflict over Taiwan or Israel or whatever, we're going to see that our trade is entirely disrupted, which is why it's more important now than ever to take advantage of trade while it still exists and prepare for what seems to be more and more inevitable. The shipping giant AP Muller Maersk reported a slide in profit and revenue for the third quarter, forcing the company to take a defensive position by eliminating upwards of 10,000 jobs as falling container rates and waning demand batter the global shipping industry, which could last through 2026. However, the shipper maintained its full-year guidance at the lower end of the previously stated guidance. Quote, if you look at the order book and what's going to come over the next couple of years, I think we're probably settling in for a very subdued and pressured environment for two to three years ahead. Chief Executive Officer Vincent Clerk told Bloomberg TV's Mark Cudmore and Tom McKenzie on Friday morning. Maersk, which controls about 17% of global container trade, started reducing its workforce from $110,000 in January and will, and will be below 100000 by the end of the year, this will result in $600 million in cost savings. Clark said about 6,500 positions have already been eliminated. Maersk is considered a bellwether of global trade. Container lines are already seeing earnings drop after record profits in 2021 and 22 when demand for consumer goods during COVID surged. As per the World Container Index, the Baltic Dry Index, global shipping rates of major routes have already plunged by 75 to 85%. From their 2021 peaks. That's like, it's almost half as good as it was at its peak. While trade suffers abroad, we see domestically there are more raids on the political class. The FBI raids the home of Eric Adams, fundraising chief. The raid of the home of Brianna Suggs, a consultant with close ties to the mayor, came as Mr. Adams canceled a series of meetings in Washington, D.C. on Thursday. Agents from the Federal Bureau of Investigation on Thursday searched the Brooklyn home of Mayor Eric Adams, Chief Fundraiser Brianna Suggs, a campaign consultant who is deeply entwined with efforts to advance the mayor's agenda, according to people with knowledge of the matter. The raid apparently prompted Mr. Adams to abruptly cancel several meetings scheduled for for Thursday morning in Washington, D.C. to talk to White House officials and members of Congress about the influx of migrants in New York and other major cities. Instead, he hurriedly returned to New York to deal with a matter, a spokesperson for the mayor said. Ms. Suggs who could not immediately be reached for comment as an essential cog in Mr. Adams' fundraising machine, which has already raised more than $2.5 million for his 2025 re-election campaign. So more swampiness. Things are getting awfully swampy, folks. Awfully, awfully swampy. Of course, we'll see if any justice is actually brought to the mayor for any ill-begotten gains for office. And Hunter Biden, on the other hand, has an op-ed, a pathetic attempt at shifting focus from his family's corruption to his drug addiction. Every single time there's bad news about the Bidens in terms of their actual corruption, their actual betrayal of the American people, we seem to see this sob story come out, like Hunter's book, which came out immediately after Biden was inaugurated, about how he's just a poor person who struggles with addiction Of course, given that the political class has exacerbated the opioid crisis, 
They know that everybody in the United States of America knows somebody who's either died from a fentanyl overdose or struggled with addiction. Between alcoholism and opioids, everybody knows a handful of people who struggle with a drug problem. And so they hope that they can take advantage of that truth by issuing these sob stories about a father whose son struggles with drug addiction. It's like that movie made by Amazon, Beautiful Boy, about that dad who had a crackhead, meth-head son. Very, very, very sad movie. And they're just trying to pull on the heartstrings. Old, poor Hunter. Let me tell you something, folks. Sometimes good people have drug problems, and it's a terrible tragedy. Sometimes terrible people have drug problems, and it's a tragedy for everyone else. This would be an example of that. I don't think that Hunter Biden is a bad person because he has a drug problem. I think he has a drug problem because he's a bad person. And I think there's other reasons to believe that he's a bad person, namely the fact that there's substantial evidence that he was abusive of an underage relative while his father and stepmother covered it up. You read the texts. You can see. We know that he was laundering money, that he was taking advantage of his dad's position as vice president in order to conduct international business in the tune of millions upon millions of dollars. We know that he invested through Rosemont Seneca Partners in companies like Metabiota, which were funded $23.7 million while Biden was vice president. And we know that Biden was getting kickback now to the tune of 10% of all these deals. So it's not just about, you know, this sort of character assassination, this disparagement of the Bidens and their character issues. And we're using Hunter to our advantage on the right wing by saying, oh, look how terrible Joe must be because his son's pathetic. It's not a distraction, folks. Their corruption is deeply intertwined. It's not just indicative of Joe Biden's bad character that his son made all these mistakes, but they were actually in business together doing these things. They were in business together, taking advantage of the American people, exploiting their power to get kickback on tax dollars going to private contractors. I got blocked on Twitter by Metabiota for calling him out and posting a picture of the CEO of Metabiota with Ghislaine Maxwell, of all people. They're in cahoots. They're in business together. All of these initiatives, anytime the government spends money, The politicians behind that spend get a kickback. That's why we have to cut spending. It's why they never do. It's why the Republicans and the Democrats alike increase spending. The only difference is the portfolios that they have. So while the Republicans might decrease welfare spending, they'll increase military spending because they're invested in the military-industrial complex. And while the Democrats may try to say that we need to reduce military spending, which they don't really say that anymore, but they used to, they'll increase welfare spending because they have kickback from all the organizations that service the contracts – for aid. It's never going to end until we figure out a way to keep our politicians from making any money off of anything they vote on. It's as simple as that. We can't allow them to make any money off of anything that they vote on. And I don't know how to solve the problem because the only way to really solve the problem requires them to actually vote themselves out of the racket, and they never do. Whether it's Dan Crenshaw or Nancy Pelosi. Their portfolios always go through the roof, and they're never pressured by us to stop getting kickback on tax dollars. Because Americans are so poor and busy and struggling, they don't have time to look into it. They don't have time to call. They don't have time to campaign. They don't have time to volunteer. They don't have time to run. God knows they don't want to because running for office is hell. 
And so we just keep getting taken advantage of time and time again. We keep getting robbed through the back door time and time again. And I don't know what the solution is. Maybe we just have to wait for the whole thing to collapse in order for something else to be built on top of the rubble. Maybe that's it. Stick with us, folks. More on the other side. Visit InfoWarsStore.com and be the reason we're still on the air. I have been in a 28-year marathon battle with a globalist. I have come from nowhere to the very heights of politics, not just in America, but in the world. We are engaging the globalists at point blank range in the information war. But I don't deserve the credit. Yes, I've persevered, but the listeners and viewers who support InfoWars are the real reason we've had the success. We're having now the greatest victories in the fight against the new world order we've ever had. We are now entering the final mile of the marathon. And that's why today it's more important than ever to realize how important you've been in this fight and to continue in the efforts you've been carrying out and to intensify them. God bless you all. I salute you. I thank you. And I beg you to intensify what you're doing now because we are over the target and history is happening. The fight is my fight. It's your fight. It's our fight. God bless you all. Last year, we put this book out. The Great Reset and the War for the World. It became a number one national bestseller. Now we've put part two out and it's even thicker and more powerful. The Great Awakening, the plan to defeat the globalists and launch the second great renaissance. This is such a powerful book. It covers all the globalist plans, the latest developments, how to stop them, and then gives an alternate plan of the society we could build together. That's why it's The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening is happening right now. You can get signed or unsigned copies of the book at InfoWarsStore.com. This is a historic book. I want to thank you all for your support. This is Next Level Information, and it's a great way to not just support the broadcast, but inform yourself of the next level and share the book with friends and family. So whether you want one copy or multiple copies, go now to InfoWarsStore.com and get The Great Awakening. This is going to go to number one. I want to thank you for your support. It's a powerful book. Get yours now. You're listening to The American Journal. Watch it live right now at band.video. Now, when I was a young boy, at the age of five, my mother's child gonna be the greatest man alive. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host today. We are going to be taking your calls. Maybe for the remainder of the show. I'm not sure. Depends how good the calls are. Go ahead and call in 877-789-2539. Again, that's 877-789-2539. Let us know what you think. So we see the country is... Falling apart, literally and figuratively. We see our infrastructure is collapsing. We see terrible events occur in the likes of East Palestine while our government focuses all of its attention on actual Palestine. We see that people are struggling to find work, and those who find work have to work three jobs in order to make ends meet. We see that inflation is through the roof. We see that World War III is on the brink. 
We see that bankruptcies are up 20% over this time last year. We see that interest rates are up 8%. We see that people are paying for houses costs 40% above market value. So they're soon to be upside down on their houses. And the government is nowhere to be found. We see homelessness on the streets. We see overdoses in our homes, in our schools. We see mass shootings occurring, not because of our right to bear arms, but because of big farmers' perpetual insistence that everybody be placed on SSRIs, which cause suicidal people to not just want to kill themselves, but make sure they kill groups of people before they do. And the government is nowhere to be found. I go throughout my day and I see the government nowhere. I never see the government in my life anywhere, helping with anything, doing anything, I just see their actions on the news. When I have a problem, the government isn't there. When the border is being presented with illegal immigrants, the government isn't there. When I have an issue in business with a contract, the government isn't there to enforce. When I report a crime, the government isn't there. When I find a criminal for a crime that I reported and I submit that person, the government isn't there. When my house is robbed, when my car is robbed, the government isn't there. When I need freedom, the government isn't there. But I'll tell you what, every two weeks on Friday, that's when the government shows up. I see them every two weeks on Friday. When you look at your paycheck and you see the money that they withheld, that's when they show up. So who do you work for? You think slavery doesn't exist anymore in this country? You think that we're not slaves? Well, I'll tell you what, you're slaves... When the government just shows up on payday to collect. It is a mafia. It is organized crime. They come by this store. They offer protection. You're just going to give us a little kickback every month. We'll make sure nothing bad happens to your store. That's like the government. Let's hear right off the bat from Robert in Thailand. Robert, what's in your mind? Hey, brother. Great show. You know, I just wanted to say, first off, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. You're doing a great job. You do sound a little black-pilled today, but can't blame you necessarily considering the circumstances. Sure. Um, you know, I had just had to take a little bit of time away from all this breeding out here so I could uh, chime in and <laughs> tell people that I think it's... <laughs> 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 you, know, you know, I gotta do what I gotta do, but I just got some chickens, and I think people should research and see where the nearest farm is that they can get their hands on some. You know, get a bit of space together, put a coop together, and uh, you get a couple of eggs, depending on what the which which type of uh, species or which you know strain of, of chicken you have. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a really good starting point for people, and you know you save up food on the side and other stuff too. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I, what which which products do you take from Infowars? I I, I I seem to remember you saying the last time we spoke on the phone that you were a customer. Yeah, well, I got okay, so I got X three, mm-hmm. I got Brain Force Ultra. Um, I want to get, uh, the next thing I want to get is a turmeric, um, mm. it wasn't bodies. There's another turmeric product that y'all have this is the next thing I'm going to be picking out. Um, but the brain force ultra is really, really great. You know, I already do some biohacking. I take, um, MSM in the morning. Uh, I stay away from caffeine and sugar as much as I can. Um, and you know, adding the, adding the things that y'all have, these nootropics on top of, if you're already doing any biohacking, I'm on a fast right now. I'm on a three day fast. Wow, so you're just drinking water? Um, but I'm only one day in there. Just water, that's it. Well, you know, I'm, I'm smoking joints too, but, you know, out here in Thailand, you're allowed to do that without getting in trouble. Um, yeah, as long as you don't eat but, them, it's you know, still a fast, right? 
Uh, you know what? To tell you the honest truth, uh, if you go on a fast without anything, without any comforts or anything, you get this higher level of connectivity. You know, but mm-hmm. I'm cheating a little bit. I pray about it, and you know, praying is also good. I remember um, the guy who did uh, Plandemic. He was uh, talking with Alex about the power of fasting, and that you know, you can uh, you can pray, and it helps with the pain. And I've been doing that. That definitely helps when my stomach gets a little uncomfortable. But um, but yeah, the brain force is incredible, especially for people who try to steer clear of caffeine. You know, caffeine shuts your immune system down and a few other things. And if you can kind of bypass that and still stay active. Um, you know, that's something that everybody should be aiming for. So I highly recommend that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your call, Robert. I appreciate it. Always good to hear from you. Let's bounce straight to Tim in California. Tim, what do you have to say about the government funding the EPA? Uh, just earlier back in August, uh, brought to the American Journal and also the Alex Jones show that the EPA, instead of allowing us all to have gasoline and just burn gasoline, they say it's because of the Biden-Harris, you know, climate change agenda. They went ahead and approved 18 new fuels for Chevron. And these new fuels, they burn waste plastic. The problem with it is it has a million times the cancer risk that was normally acceptable. Mm-hmm. It used to be if one in one million people would get cancer, we can't approve your thing. Now they say one of these things, they expect it to be 1.3 cancers for every one individual exposed. It's kind of like Oprah. Everybody gets a cancer. Everybody gets a cancer. Wow. Wow. Well, it just goes to show they don't actually care about you. They want to eradicate you from the face of the earth in the name of saving the planet. Exactly. Wow. Thank you so much for your call there. It hasn't always been that way. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But it's getting to be that way. We, For some reason, the left just hates humanity. I don't know why it is. I don't understand it. But you know what I think it is? I think it's because the left thinks in terms of oppressor versus oppressed, which is something that... creation versus destruction. Yes. It is creation versus destruction. Yes. Well, and when you think about oppressor versus oppressed, when you frame everything in the world as a will to power, then that means the source of all ills, the source of all evils, is not because of any personal fault or because of any sort of environmental issue. It means the source of your problems is other humans. So it's actually sort of the basis of the most violent philosophy in the history of the world. If you think of everything in this Marxist framework of oppressor versus oppressed, like the leftists do, that means that you have to eradicate the oppressor in order to eradicate injustice. Thank you so much for your call, Tim. I really do appreciate that. Let's hear from Inigatius in Rome. In Rome. Hello, this is Ignatius Loyola, leader of the Jesuit Order. You're doing a great job. <laughs> He's back. All right, all right. Next call. Let's hear from Johnny in Denmark. See you later, Alex. <laughs> well, that makes a very good uh, segue to what I was about to talk about because uh, I was I wanted to put bookends on our conversation yesterday. Um, in particular, it was kind of a shame uh, the show ended uh, uh, because I wanted to respond to what I felt was a very apt comment on your part. That part of, that part of the reason um, that people have this misperception about, um, or one of the misperceptions about uh, Freemasonry is they think of it as uh, hierarchical uh, worldwide, whereas, as you know, uh, it's hierarchical within a lodge but not between lodges. Right. And I learned this uh, in a very personal way because uh, the 33rd degree uh, Freemason, I told you about Dr. Gordon, uh, I didn't know he was a 33rd degree Freemason. All I knew was he was on the right side of like every issue we talked about and was a big InfoWars fan. And I found out months later that he was a Freemason. 
Uh, and then, so I, I, you know, I understand both sides of the issue because I used to believe the propaganda. <laughs> sure. And so I, I started it off to him. And then he explained to me that he, as a 33rd degree Freemason, had no superiors anywhere in Freemasonry. Uh, and part of the reason for that is kind of interesting because I mentioned Leo Taxel is one of the sources, main sources, which he is, of um, anti Freemasonic. Uh, uh, propaganda, both mm-hmm. propaganda and sentiment. Um, uh, but his uh, lifelong enemy, the Jesuits, uh, were more so uh, because and I did some digging into the history of it, and it's quite interesting um, that uh, both the Freemasons and the Jesuits were um, cultural descendants um, of the Knights Templar, mm-hmm. the Templars. Um, but was uh, but the Freemasons got the money. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the spoke, sorry, the Jesuits got the money. Right. And, uh, free, and he, as, as a uh, Freemason, um, despises uh, the organization of Jesuits. He hates the sinner, but, you know, the sin, but not the sinner. Right. Uh, and I got this verified by this woman, uh, Karen Hudis, that uh, listeners on the line will look up, H-U-G-E-S, who's a Sorry, man, I have to let you go. We're coming up right on a break, though. I do appreciate you. Calling in and putting a bookend on the end of some of your comments yesterday. We'll take more calls in the next segment, 877 The satanic New World Order is betting against humanity. They're betting on our weakness. They believe they can destabilize civilization and bring us down into the ashes of history. But the trap they've laid for us will be their destruction, not ours. If we trust in God and if we are valiant, and have courage to speak the truth and not comply and engage in civil disobedience and not join the masses who have decided that they are the scum of the earth, who have decided that they will join with this soulless corporate system. As for InfoWars, we are going to steadfastly continue to fight in the information war with our weapon, the truth, against the enemies of humanity. And we put our faith and we put our trust we put our destiny in the hands of God. Because it's been said a trillion times, if God be with us, who can be against us? 